0: Welcome back to the Fifth Dimension. Today is September the 25th of the year 2022. This is the Fifth Dimension. And I'm your host today, Captain Fred. It's been said that no thing in use by man for power of ill can equal money Let me issue and control the nation's money, and I care not who writes its laws. That was Amshel Rothschild. Lots of times, I I really am not totally sure what the show will be about when I start the show, and I always fall back to my father's book that he published in. 1975, 1974, it's difficult to say I was around when he was writing it, so I used to think it was 1973. But in chapter 2 of the rise and fall of the United States in his book, he says that until two days before Christmas in 1913, America prospered like no other nation in history. Our every move was in accordance with the Constitution and the purposes for which this great nation was founded. Our founding fathers were men of God, purpose, humility, and keen devotion to home and country. They were sober men, engrossed in deep thought, for the creation and preservation of our American heritage. But on that regrettable, unforgettable date, December 23rd of 1913, the money scheme of an alien, Paul Warburg, from Eastern Europe, secretly concocted some months before was passed by the House of Congress and signed by then-President Woodrow Wilson. And on that date, American America thus gave up the control of her destiny. This creation, we know as the Federal Reserve Act. The passage of that act has been followed by forty eight years of subversion of the American dream of peace, liberty, and justice for all. That was in nineteen seventy five. So just to add another forty years to that, and we've still been under this this subversion by money. But the invention of money took place before the the beginning of written history. Consequently, any story of how money first developed is mostly based on conjecture and, and, and logic. The significant evidence that many things were traded in ancient markets that could be described as medium of exchange or we've created mediums of exchange. And they were exchanged for useful commodities. But they were better described as barter back then. In my father's book, there is a chapter that's devoted to the chronology or the chronological history of of United States money. This is written by Wycliffe B. Venard, Sr., another contributor to this book. He creates a, a chronological history of of how the United States began using money. And he thinks that in 1606, the first charter of Virginia contained the following explicit words. And that they shall, or lawfully may, establishing cause to be made a coin to pass current. There between the people of those several colonies for the more, Ease of traffic and, bar- and bargaining amongst them, and the natives there of such metal and, <laughs> and of such metal, and in such a manner and form that the said councils shall their limit and appoint. 1606. But in 1688, Eng- the English Revolution over money control took place. That's 1688. In 1694, the Bank of England was founded, which was a private corporation. 1751, England prohibits the New England colonies from issuing their own money. 1751. forcing It forced them to, to borrow money into circulation at interest from the bankers. 1751, folks. In 1763, Benjamin Franklin was asked in London why the colonies had prospered so. He replied, Because we issued our own money. In 1764, the prohibition by England against the New England colonies to issue their own currencies was now extended to the rest of the colonies. That was 1764. And then, of course, 1775 started the Revolutionary War. And then in 1775, the Continental Congress authorized their respective states to issue paper currencies in defiance of the crown. This first issue of colonial currency was called Bills of Credit. And in 1776, May 1st, well, most people don't really understand, but that was when the Illuminati was founded by Adam Weishaupt. In 1776, May 1st, was also the origin of the Communist May Day. In 1776, July 4th, was the Declaration of Independence. And in 1777, a great counterfeit, great mass of counterfeit colonial notes Printed under the orders of the British government, were brought into New York by the fleet under Sir William Howe in order to debauch the paper currencies of the colonies. 1779, Congress for the first time set a limit to the emission of its pay- bills of credit. Nearly a century later, the American Congress made a similar similar enactment in regard to treasury notes or greenbacks. Hmm. Seems like money had a lot to do with the creation of this country, didn't it? In 1780, the state of Massachusetts issues a bill wherein for the first time the word dollar is used instead of the sterling denomination as before. 1780, we had dollars in 1781. The book of North America, the bank of North America was founded 1781 modeled after the bank of England promoted by the illustrious Alexander Hamilton in 1787. The Constitution was signed, giving only under Congress the right to issue and control our money. That was in 1787, 12 years after the revolution began. But in 1789, in Europe, there was the French Revolution. And in 1790, the Bank of North America failed. 1791, after regaining the right to issue our own money in accordance with Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 5, President Washington was coerced by our first and foremost trader, Alexander Hamilton, to sign the first bank of the United States for 20 years' duration. Hamilton Also inserted, the the treaty clause in the Constitution, whereby a treaty supersedes the Constitution. That's interesting. In 1800, the Bank of France was founded. You know, it's really interesting that these banks all over the world at the time of this revolution, were still being created and still being forced out. In 1804, Alexander Hamilton lost his life in a duel with Aaron Burr. You can only imagine how Aaron Burr must have felt about Alexander Hamilton creating these banks. I wonder if Well, in 1811, Congress voted down the renewal of the First Bank of the United States, thereby thereby precipitating in 1812, of course, the War of 1812. And in 1816, the Second Bank of the United States was ratified for another 20 years duration. Seems like we, (laughs) we still haven't figured things out, have we? In 1832, Andrew Jackson, the greatest of our presidents, in my consideration, vetoed renewal of the Second Bank of the United States. And he said, you are a den of vipers. I intend to rout you out. And by the eternal God, I will rout you out. Jackson also said, if the people only understood the rank injustice of our money and banking system, there would be a revolution before morning. That really sounds pretty appropriate still today, doesn't it? In 1835, Andrew Jackson reduces the national debt to zero, the only time in our entire history when the United States government nothing in 1836 the charter of the second bank of the United States expired and in 1838 well it's a quote from uh, from Rothschild about uh, let me issue the money 1838 And then in 1861, the Civil War was engineered in London by Benjamin Disraeli, frontman for the international bankers. The I.B.'s well knew that debt-free money or honest money would cause unlimited prosperity which they could not control, and cause industries to flock to America from all corners. The international bankers used the principle of divide at the Mason-Dixon line and conquer. They sent their front men, Judith P. Benjamin, August Belmont, and John Slidell, to run the Confederacy. Disraeli said he could get Napoleon III and Bismarck to do as he ordered. Troops were landed in Mexico. The plan was to form the Maximilian Empire, including Mexico, Louisiana, and Texas. When the Christian Tsar of Russia learned of this plan, he sent a man of war to San Francisco and another to New York. To counteract the same, as it ended up, we Christian Americans annihilated each other as planned. In fact, every war in the history of this nation was fomented by the international bakers, Christians against Christians. In 1862, the Hazard Circular, I don't know if very many people have heard about this, but in 1862, there was a, uh, the Hazard Circular. It was written by an agent of London bankers and distributed among the professional money lenders of America. It reads, Slavery is likely to be abolished by the war power and chattel slavery destroyed. This I and my European friends are in favor of. For slavery is but the owning of labor and carries with it the care of the laborers. While the European plan, led by England, is that capital moneylenders shall control labor by controlling wages. This can be done by controlling the money. The great debt, the national debt, the capitalist moneylenders will see to it is made out of the war, must be used as a means to control the volume of money. To accomplish this, The debts created out of the war must be used as a banking basis. We're now waiting for the Secretary of the Treasury to make this recommendation to Congress. That was in 1862. And then in 1862, the Exception Clause Act was passed of subsequent issues of greenbacks to read, good for all debts, both public and private, except duty on imports and interest on government debts, thereby discrediting the greenbacks and precipitating the National Bank Act. Wow. I don't know about you folks, But it seems like our Congress has been reacting to um, all kinds of lobbyists. Even even back in the eighteen hundreds, it's just it's just incredible. In 1863, Lincoln was coerced into signing the National Bank Act, which again delegated to a private corporation the all-powerful right to issue our money. The ungrateful Solomon P. Chase. That's a familiar name, isn't it? The ungrateful Solomon P. Chase was secretary of the treasury at the time. He later regretted this unconstitutional act. In 1863, the first National Banking Act found found to be defective. 1864, National Bank Act was rewritten. And in 1865, Lincoln was assassinated. Pretty sure it's because he he didn't want (laughs) to create that new banking act. In 1870, financial disaster was again was again with Black Friday, when every bank in the country suspended operations and every laboring man was thrown out of work. God, that sounds so familiar. 1870, they've been jacking with people all the time, haven't they? 1873, passage of an act by Congress. Supposedly to revise and amend laws relative to mints, assay offices, and cornage of the United States. But, in fact, brought about the demonstration, demonetization, (laughs) I have to work on that word, demonetization of silver, whereby Americans were deprived of one-third of their circulating medium. This crime of 1973 is what they called it, was responsible for the panic of that period. Think about this, folks. The crime of of 1873, haven't heard that spoken of very often. In 1878, a statute was enacted prohibiting the withdrawal of the Lincoln greenbacks from circulation in clear violation of this statute the treasury department in august of 1966 ordered the withdrawal from circulation of all $2 greenback bills i don't remember that but i think that it probably happened 1866 i mean 1966 and it goes on in in 1890 the Cleveland Depression, <laughs> they assigned depressions to, to to presidents. In 1894, the National Municipal League was founded. And in 1898, February 14th, the Spanish-American War. And two years later, in 1900, it was the Gold Standard Act. (laughs) Oh, man. And then in 1907, it was the planned money panic to bring back central banking. That's 1907. And then if you don't read a lot about money in the United States, you might not know that in 1907 or 1908, that that was the year of the Jekyll Island meeting. The Federal Reserve Act was written. Mm -hmm. In 1908, the Monetary Commission formed under the chairmanship of Senator Aldrich to study and investigate domestic and foreign banking methods. And then in 1912, the Aldrich Vreeland bill was enacted by Congress. 1912. And in 1913, the international bankers strapped us with the following international straitjacket in one package deal, which spelled our doom. It was engineered by their frontman, Colonel E Mendel House, Paul Warburg, Nelson Aldrich, Carter Glass, number one, the Federal Reserve Act, number two, the sixteenth Amendment, number three, the seventeenth Amendment, number four, tax free foundations, number five. International policy, <laughs> international foreign policy, the FPA. Hmm, that sounds like um, well. And then in in that bill was universal military training. Federal Churches of Christ in America. That was that was one of the, the products of the Jekyll Island meeting. They've really came a long way with that after COVID pandemic, haven't they? National, <laughs> Federal Churches of Christ. Man, it's it's interesting that that all these five hundred one c three churches were basically shut down during the pandemic. The um, number 10, the International Union of Local Authorities. That's a, a union of municipalities. And number number 11 of of this Jekyll Island meeting was One World Government laid down in book writing by Colonel E. Mandel House, Philip Drew Administrator. And in 1913, Colonel E. Mandel House wrote anonymously and, and later admitted authorship of Philip Drew Administrator a political romance, but actually our blueprint for ruin. The Federal Reserve System was outlined therein. (laughs) God, the history of money is, especially in that period of time when the Federal Reserve was created, you know, we, we came out of the Civil War, and, and Lincoln tried to resist central banks. In 1913, the plan for the one-world money dictatorship was laid down. The World War One League of Nations, Versailles Treaty, and Palestine. It also happens that we had a staunch Senate at this time, which voted down the League of Nations five years later. And then on December 23rd, Woodrow Wilson signed the FRA. Wilson ultimately broke down with Colonel House and stated, I am a most unhappy man. Unwittingly, I have ruined my country. In 1914, November 16th, the Federal Reserve Banks were open for business with 147 million capital stocks. (laughs) Folks, we'll, (laughs) we'll continue with this after this break. We'll be back. Listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth.
1: My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee. And I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee. And after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, You have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10.
2: Corporate media dominates the American opinion.
0: And I was reading from uh, an article in the of the book that my father published uh, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, um, and this article was from Wycliffe uh, Bernard Senior, and he documented the significant events of money in the United States. And I just I just finished reading the um, uh, well, it was the beginning of the Federal Reserve. Opened, opened for business with 147 million in capital stock, and the national debt when they opened that was one billion dollars, and it was it was set in readiness. It was set in readiness for the 1914, the planned incidents, which were to participate or precipitate World War I, the assassination of the Archduke of Australia, the killing of a handful of Russian troops who dared to cross the border into Germany. And in 1914, Congressman Charles A. Lindbergh, Sr., brought action in the House to have members of the Federal Reserve system board of directors impeached in 1916 the american official service report the u.s naval intelligence section one in february it was found that a revolution was being fomented in russia and also the following persons as well as the banking house mentioned were engaged in in this work of destruction Jacob Schiff, Guggenheim, Max Bruntig, Kahn, Globe & Company, New York, of which the following are the dictators, oh dictators, (laughs) slip right there, or the directors are Jacob Schiff, Felix Warburg, Otto Kahn, S. H. Hanar, a group of New York and European bankers established the Federal Reserve banking system in 1923. Uh, I mean, in February, December 23rd, 1913. This group financed both sides in World War One, financed and established the Red State over a Christian Russian people in 1917, inflated the German Mark into worthlessness in 1923, 23, ruining Germany, and in 1926, being the only year this group provided peace and prosperity for the United States, deflated our currency in 1920, and again in 1929, giving the United States a 10-year depression. Uh, you know, we keep falling for these same same schemes to keep everybody in poverty, to keep everybody in rags. I'll, I'll continue reading from this maybe later. I don't know. Sometimes it gets a little depressing, but I've got a call now. Laura in Michigan. Laura, are you still on the line?
4: Hello, Fred.
0: Hi Laura. I'm good to it's good to hear you today. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado.
4: I was gonna talk about going way go back again to the colonies. They they issued scripts called Continentals. But eventually right. because there was nothing backing it, they started saying it was not not worth a continental.
0: Well, I'm trying to go back to see where that really was documented in this book here. Uh, The Continental Congress authorized the respective states to issue paper currency in defiance of the crown. And the first issue of colonial currency was called bills of credit. So that's what you were talking about, right? Yeah. As far
4: as I knew, they were called continentals.
0: I think that's what they were referred to as continentals. But they were yeah. they were bills of credit issued by the states. There's there's a lot of people talking about how Utah's passing the law now to use gold and silver as currency in Utah. Um have you heard that?
4: Yes I have. Actually it's in the it's in the constitution. We're all supposed to be using that gold and silver.
0: I I like the idea of states being responsible for some of their own currency, too. I mean, it would be interesting if we could uh, could could invest in state currencies as we do with foreign currencies. You know, the currency war right now has the, the United States dollar is doing wonderfully. Isn't that amazing? Well, North Dakota, you
4: know, they have a state bank, and all the money goes back to the states. They keep it in the state. I think they've got a good idea there, North, North Dakota.
0: What if what if California issued currency? I wonder how it would trade.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, think I about also, this. I
4: was also going to talk about Alexander Hamilton. You know, he didn't lift his pistol. When Burr was in the duel, he committed it was suicide by duel. And I think what happened uh, was he it knew seems he was like committing treason, and the guys wouldn't like him. All the, of you know, the men, so he just didn't even lift his pistol.
0: Well, you know, uh, Aaron Burr has been made out to be a real bastard, and. Um it seems like maybe he was taking a lot on, on to himself to try to resolve some of the issues that Hamilton had created. I don't know. I haven't seen the play. Have you?
4: Yeah, well, well, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I know a lot of people told me about it. And I keep telling them it's totally backwards. They, think they make it out to be Hamilton's a good guy.
0: Well, that's the they inversion play. of media. Yeah, It's the inversion of media you know ever everywhere that you look in media for any kind of any kind of answer or resolution then there there's an inversion of information for some reason I don't know it um in my mind uh it, it's it's correct that that everything ill that's being created has been created using money or the power of money. the banks have certainly taken advantage of this and and they're doing that now i mean. If you listen to media, even alternative media right now, they're telling you that you should invest in gold, yet there's been no real increase in the value of gold, has there? No,
4: they've they've suppressed it. We don't have the value of gold right now.
0: Well, but the dollar seems to be booming right now in relation to other currencies, isn't that interesting, don't you think? I mean I mean if if the United hell States hell yeah, yeah, how how is this working? If if the international bankers are so invested in dollars, it's to their advantage to create all the uh, the angst to create the panic that they've done. They they created a panic with the dollar the same way they created a panic with toilet paper. It's the perception of scarcity that drives yeah. drives a lot of things up. I think. I think I'd
4: rather <laughs> invest in rubles.
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> I don't know. I've got friends that told me they invested in uh, dinar, in Iraqi dinar. I remember years mm. ago, my aunt was so proud she had bought like a million of rocky dinars and she was just waiting for the price of it to go up. I tell you what would have been really a disaster and would probably sounded like a good investment was investing in the uh, North African bank of uh, Libya. Gaddafi was was backing. Yeah, he was backing all of his money with gold. But it's interesting that, that with the invasion of Libya, the North African Bank that he was creating, creating money packed by gold, it's interesting that the United States invades, shuts down that whole government, hunts down him and all of his family. but very few people have ever talked about where this this North African bank existed with all of Gaddafi's money. I mean, it was said that he had a lot of a lot of gold kept in reserve to finance yeah, this it? new yeah, North African dollar the, a lot of people speculate that maybe maybe this gold was in Benghazi. Huh?
4: Did
0: you ever think about that? I
4: uh, know I never
0: did really No well, you know on television we saw the the raid on the uh wasn't an embassy. Nobody really said what it was. But they had full-time television of it with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton watching live time by a drone, yeah. <laughs> and these these people that were invading this in this compound were supposedly pissed off because they somebody had had uh, demeaned the the. Uh, uh, the Muslim, It You in uh, some
4: kind of movie or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, made a movie, and it pissed yeah. everybody off. But did anybody ever say, well, maybe maybe these people were bank robbers, <laughs> and maybe they yeah. were going to get all that yeah, gold? Yeah, it could be.
4: I think, I uh, think. Ambassador Stevens was also gun-running there,
0: too. I would think that gold probably was was the goal of that. I, as far as guns are concerned, they everybody had plenty of guns. I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was was Obama and and Hillary were going after the gold that was stored there, and the the ambassador and the two or three people that were there didn't have a clue of what they were coming for. I think they were victims of a of a terrible terrible scheme. We've all been victims by this. Hey hey, Laura, would you hold on? Let's. I I really enjoyed bringing on two or three people to discuss some of okay, these topics. Okay, I like that and, too. Yeah, yeah, we've got Mike in Kentucky, and he always ends a, a very brings a special light to all these conversations. Mike, welcome aboard.
3: Oh well, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Uh, somewhere in my collection of dusty old musty books, I got the two volume set from 1886 of James G. Blaine, Twenty Years of Congress, and he had a, a a chapter on money that uh you know, eighteen eighty six it was twenty years after the so called Civil War. And there's a famous quote in there about Gold is the money of monarchs. But silver is the currency of or money of gentlemen, and then uh, uh it gets down to debt is the money of slaves. I'm I'm butchering the quote, but it's it's uh
0: where we're at you know yeah absolutely that De- is the money of peasants or something like that uh i don't remember there's different versions of it but i actually stumbled
3: across that pre-internet in the 90s i, I got to where i, I really? talked to a, para, a paralegal guy who showed me a few things that was curious in the law libraries and then i started frequently every time i traveled anywhere i'd find old bookstores and go in there and find stuff on the shelf and I got that 20 years of Congress on hemp paper. Pristine. <laughs> I mean, it looked brand new. Uh, and I got it for a song because it's a fairly, not a rare book, but anybody that finds those somewhere, I'm sure it's it's probably, a, I, I, I would imagine it's probably a fairly good investment, except I underlined a few things in pencils probably for <laughs> the value of it because I stumbled across a few quotes like that. And I'm like, wow, you know. But uh, it, 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 the uh uh, the thing that got got me what I noticed, a lot of these people uh put forward this Jackson note in nineteen thirteen. Jackson was on the ten Federal Reserve note and it was actually a promissory note, but it had a whole paragraph underneath of the hemp farmers and everybody looks, Oh, look at the hemp farmers. See, we used to grow hemp, it was a major thing in America, you know. And, you know, in the thirties during the Depression, DuPont and other Petroleum forces got rid of hemp, you know, taxed the heck, crap out of it, but they had to have it for World War II. But after after World War II was over, they got rid of it. It was a major factor in that Kentucky economy until, like, 1946, and they got rid of it. But on that hemp note in 1913, if you read the whole paragraph underneath of there, you see the game that's going on. And if you back people into the corner, like the Treasury people or lawyers or whatever, they will claim... That lawful money was never defined. Have you ever ran into that?
0: Well, you know, I was looking in the the Wikipedia, and it defines, you know, lawful is is pretty intransit. I mean, it it doesn't really. There's nothing that really rests as lawful. I mean, you know, it could it could be defined as lawful one year and then the de jure forces. Make it unlawful. It's like the gold. It's like uh, you were saying that was in 1886, but um, in 1886 uh, they called it the crime. It was the crime. In this one, it was 1870. 1873 was the crime of 1870 of uh, 73, which was responsible for the panic of that, that period. Well, also that was during the period when they. They confiscated silver, too. And that's not really talked about very much. Well,
3: in that paragraph on the bottom of that 10, if you've ever looked it up, you know, it's it's a big paragraph. It, it's a contract, basically. If you're holding one of those 10s in 1913 through about 1933, you could present that at a Federal Reserve note. well, at a Federal Reserve Bank, or a member bank, and they had a choice. They could give you quote, lawful money or gold, $10. So it was a bearer bond, in effect. But the Treasury Department did not. If you took it to Washington, D.C., and you presented it at the Treasury, you could demand gold. So the banks could do that, and that's what I think they largely did, was they would give us peasants the silver. I'd say, oh, well, we, we, don't, we can't give you gold today. You can come back next week. If you want you know, $10 gold piece, or if, maybe if you had two of them, you could get a $20 gold piece. But you'll have to come back next week. Right now, we'll give you $10 silver right? So they could confiscate a boxcar load of those $10 bills or the notes, or actually promissory notes, take them to Washington, D.C., get the gold, hoard the gold, drive the price up of gold from 19 relative to and, and basically debase the biometallic money system. I think that's what they wanted to do. And they succeeded in 20 years and one a generation there. It took them a generation to do that, to drive the price of gold from $20 an ounce to 35
0: uh, or close to it. And then well, that what you're talking about really defeated that Gold Standard Act, which was in 1900. Because the yeah. Gold Standard Act uh, said that, that the money was represented, the dollar was represented by gold weight and required the United States Treasury to redeem on demand in gold coin only the paper currency that the act uh, specified. So, you know, well, there were still living the, uh, memory from Andrew, what Andrew
3: Jackson said uh, when he ran for office in the 1830s, you know, he was like. Uh, confronted by a man who said, "You know, if you get elected, there's not going to be money, any money. But if I, if we elect the other guy, there'll be money aplenty." And he pointed that out. He said, "Well, if you got, if uh, if you print money, it's going to be worthless through inflation. You're going to rob people of the of their wealth." And we, you know,
0: we're seeing that today. You know, I used, to have a friend, I used to have a friend years ago, years ago, that uh, always voted Democratic. And I asked him, I said, why do you vote Democratic? He says, well, he says, when we have a Democratic president, we always have money. <laughs> and yeah, right, when we have a Republican, we don't.
3: Less. Well, and I think that... It's worth less. And more, more of anything becomes worthless Anything that becomes more available becomes worth less. Uh, but... Uh, it, The uh, uh, 19, uh, what got me, you know, and I didn't realize this for a long time, they even got Roy Rogers involved in this monetary psychological game. There's an episode (laughs) of Roy Rogers. If you look it up, I've got it on my Utah gun exchange. I thought so much of it, I grabbed it because Roy Rogers and Dale Evans run upon Pat Brady, who has bought this ghost town, on a tax sale, and there's uh, some old codger that's squatting in the motel or something that's in the middle of the town that he wants to set up a restaurant and gets out. He wants to get out from underneath the Dale Evans being so bossy. So he tries to, you know, run this guy out of his motel, and in the process, he leans up against the wall, falls down a hidden staircase, and lo and behold, there's three ammo boxes of what he thinks is gold coin. Turns out it's not gold coin, but anyway... Throughout the whole episode, everybody keeps telling everybody, well, the government says this isn't money anymore, it'll have to be redeemed. You know, Roy, by the banker actually says it to Roy. You know, by law, these have to be redeemed. And, you know, back in 1953 when this came out, You were lucky to make a dollar a day, and he had found three ammo boxes of $20 gold pieces. Turns out
0: they were made out of platinum. And thanks to the industry, they were worth more than $20 a
3: piece. But uh, they kept trying to convince everybody. And I'm thinking all these young kids, you know, the early day of television, the rich kids had television. But the young kids were going to the Saturday movie matinee, and here's Roy Rogers in Operation Hollywood Psychological Operation trying to convince people that gold is not money. It's called Hmm. Ghost Town Gold, if you look that up. But, you know, from 1933 to 1983, in a supposedly free country, you cannot hold gold as an
0: asset as an American. Right. I I remember that. Level of
3: deception we were under. And then, of course, when I think it was during Ronald Reagan's tenure, I don't know, around 1983, they started minting the the coins again. And they say on their face, $20. but that's their legal tender value. So now what's a dollar? You know, because you still I try to buy one of those $20 gold eagles. It's a bullion coin. It has a legal tender value, but
0: well, you know, Mike, that's interesting. Uh, $2500. You know, uh, yeah, and I where we were just bringing up the fact that states have the ability, according to the Constitution, states can issue their currency. Well, they cannot make
3: anything. It's their power to make. They only have the power to They cannot make anything but gold and silver uh, payment for debt. So what we have is a monetized debt-based economy. So when you get in a traffic court or something, you get ordered by the judge to pay a fine. And I brought this up before. Well, I've I've said to a judge, and they rubbed their temples like I was giving them a headache. I said, "Um, so if I'm found guilty in this, uh, you're going to order me to pay a fine. How is it possible? The court cannot issue an impossible task. Since there is no money in circulation, how can I possibly pay the fine that this court is going to issue? And they rub their temples for about twenty seconds, and I said, "I hope I'm not stressing you out here." And she, oh no, I'll just get a headache. You. Mike, you're
0: stressing to... me out. What are you talking they about? They said, "See the court, see
3: the clerk." And what they're doing is they're converting the fine into Federal Reserve discharge. Right. right. You cannot pay anything in this country. You can only discharge it. The debt doesn't go away. It just
0: merely gets transferred. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. No, No, that's an interesting thought, though. But but think about this. If each state issued its own currency, then the currency markets just between the states could be an interesting industry. I mean, the currency issued by California as compared to the currency issued by Texas. I mean, think about it. Uh, You know, perception has a lot to do with the value, too, of any currency. And that's what...
3: I think we need to, in effect, run a parallel economy, and you could do it based on regions. Like for my idea in our region, uh, and it's a, it, once people realize eventually, hopefully, that what we have is what the French called coupon money, and this occurs even in countries where it's illegal. Like Argentina had their currency collapse like three or four times in the last twenty-five years, right? Well, they do coupon money, flea market yeah. script. They do script that is available in different areas that you can trade between the businesses. And so you'd make it a commercial promotional thing.
0: You know, Mike, that's an interesting topic. We'll get back into that after this next break here. This is Captain Fred. You're listening to The Fifth Dimension today on Republic Broadcasting Network. We'll be back in just a minute.
2: It's my own.
1: Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central.
0: This is
3: RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.